0: All right, good afternoon. Please be speeding. All right, we are continuing in CV 2022 9 5403 This is the trial of Greg versus Hobbs and Al. Present for the record are either the parties, the parties' representatives, or appearances being waived, with counsel for the respective parties being present. We are in the process of the continued direct examination of Mr. Speakin, who is under oath and continues on the witness stand. So, Mr. Olson. Thank you, Ron. Good afternoon, Mr. Speakin. Uh, back to Exhibit 47 that we've been looking at. Yeah, it got removed from my table. You can retrieve it right there and give it back to him. Mr. Olson, I'm sorry. We had to take it. Mr. Speaking, just to, to recap, since we're starting after lunch, where it says, Verifications in uh, less than or equal to five seconds and three seconds and two seconds at the top column. That means in simple terms in less than six seconds where, where it says five and then three means in less than four seconds. And then where the column says in less than or equal to two seconds, that means less than three seconds in simple terms. Correct. In simple terms, that's what it means. Correct. Let's pick a couple, and this table is uh, sorted by user number, correct? Correct. So if we took user number 20, can you tell me what this data reflects? Yes, so you would read across associated with that user. So 55,888 determinations, verifications, conclusions, whatever you want to say, that were inputted by that user. 96.39% 96.39% of those would have been approvals or passes or like we talked about earlier. I, I hated the word accepted for the reasons that we talked about. So a pass. Okay. And then continuing on, as you go to the right under the column that simply stated less than six seconds, there were 36,086 instances where that user did that in those instances? The pass rate of those was 99.65 percent. Objection, Your Honor. Again, what I'm hearing here is a summary of a document, or I should say, of, of CD ROM, um, leading to what I'm hearing is our statistical conclusions. Again, I think we've made our record, but I just want to read the address. True. The objection should be foundation, I believe, as to if he's going to use a number, he can do the math and. Show, show his work. So that's the objection on foundation. So how did he get the 99.65% for the last thing he testified to? That's the objection. If you could have him show his math. This yes, one. Uh, Mr. Speaking with respect to the 99.65%, with, with this table, we're just talking, uh, just, uh, average. Correct average and averages and percentages, Mm -hmm. correct? Not even average, just percentage on this table. Correct, yes. Where does the ninety nine point six five percent derive from? That's the number of passes or accepted signatures, good signatures, compared to the overall number of determinations made. So in simple terms, if they made two determinations and one of them was a pass, fifty percent. Made two determinations and two determinations are passes. 100%. I made 10 and one was a pass, 10%. It's super easy. Next question. Continuing on with, in simple terms, the column which is less than four seconds, can you just continue to the right with user number 20 as to what this data shows? Yes. So for that user, 24,904 were done at that speed or faster. In other words, the less than four seconds. So obviously the ones that are included in that column were previously included in the one where we had a larger time that we we're analyzing. This is a smaller subset of the same data. And of those, the approval rate, 99.87. So we get 13 out of a thousand are not included. 9,987, I'm sorry, out of 10,000. 9,987 out of 10,000 were passed. Continuing on to the column less than three seconds. So that total number of instances where comparisons were done, So the keystrokes were entered in that amount of time is 13,749 and 99.88%. Simple conversion, 12 out of 10,000 were not past the rest of her. If we select a number, let's take user number 31. Could you go through the same recitation that you just did with respect to that user as to what this table reflects? Sure. Same principles apply. They did 46,854 determinations. The overall call approval percentage, passing percentage, 97.23% at a time of less than 6 seconds of those 46,000 instances 37,588 of them were done at that uh, rate of less than six seconds and for that the approval percentage for that subset 99.37 percent moving to the right less than four seconds 29,751 instances approval approval percentage so it takes up. And then even faster rate of less than three seconds, 21,471. Approval percentage, 99.84. Let's, uh, if you would move over to the third page with user 72. Or strike that. Let's go to user 79. Your Honor. Objection. The witness is testifying to these numbers as if they are admitted for their truth. They are not admitted. No, this are his opinions based upon what he's reviewed. So, overruled for that. Go ahead. So user 79, Mr. Spikine. Same um, takeaway for 79, 54,298 in total, the total body of work. 98.9% approvals. You go to the next column. Of what we're calling less than six seconds. 45,217. Approved at 99.91. So in simple terms, 9 out of 10,000. Would not be. Approved. At the next fastest rate. Of less than four seconds. 37,524. 99.97, 99.97, and the last column of three seconds or less, 27,196 instances with a 100% approval rating, approval uh, percentage. Looking at the approval ratings going from less than six seconds to less than three seconds, what, what do you see about the approval rating? Well, they're all very high for this user, but the faster they go, the more they get approved, the the higher the rate for this user. Does that seem unusual to you? Well, it definitely seems counterintuitive. It's also against my experience. The faster you go, it would be a rejection. It's easier to tell something doesn't match when you're doing a comparison, not that it does match. Turning to the uh, last page, Mr. Spikine, and the total verification. (laughs) Under the total, can you read the totals for the various columns, less than six, less than five, less than four, less than three? Well, uh, we only have three columns. So we have less than six, less than four, and less than three. And the first one, less than six, seven, seven, three, three, 779,330. The next fastest time, 512,597, and the fastest time on the table, less than three seconds, 321,495 instances or times that occurred. And I recall is there is a uh, a lower figure for uh, comparisons at uh, less than three seconds around 276. Well, my opinion for the comparisons that were actually done in less than three seconds is less than the 325, 321,495 number because user 26 and user 9 had some activity that appears to be inputted through a computer by some algorithm or some script, I didn't think it was fair to count them, or it would be misleading if I did count them, if indeed they were put in through a computer or some algorithm as saying that the keystrokes were done in that time. If I'm wrong, the number would go up from my opinion to what's on the chart. I just believe that's what was inputted. So your opinion, would that subtract the number of ballots processed by user 9 and 26 from the total of 321,495? Yeah, so for the rate, the, the counts or the instances or the rates, I think it would be correct to subtract that number to arrive at a smaller number. As I said, 321 minus 44. Or it might be 45. um, When you add them up, 45,670 from that number. Did you assess any... uh, rate of less than two seconds. I did, I ran the search further out than shows on this table, yes. And what did the data reflect? There were about 70,000 instances uh, accepting or removing the 26 and nine that I just talked about that were lightning quick. Uh, removing that, roughly 70,000. So roughly 70,000 signatures Process in less than two seconds. No, I would use the word compared. Compared, excuse me. Process would be a bigger number because you'd include 26 and 9. Compared would be the lower number, yes. And do you recall any figures with respect to the approval rating? So I did look at the users that had over a 1,000 instances of that less than two seconds uh, comparison. And seven of them had 100%. I remember that. What is your expert opinion as to the physical ability to compare a signature for consistency in less than three seconds? I don't believe it can be done. I I look at this all day, every day. This is what I do and I've done for 30 years, handwriting and signatures. I'm not going to sit here and tell the court no one in the world could be better than me. But I really do believe I'm at the top of the pyramid of who could do this and how to do it. If I can't do it, I don't see how anyone could do it on a mass scale, day after day after day, hour after hour, at these rates. It, it can't be so. And when you're, how are you using the term compare? Well, compare to me, I, I, this morning I just Googled what does compare mean. Uh, and it says to look at carefully to see similarities and differences between two items. Obviously in this case we're talking signatures. But that's what it means to me anyway. But to give you the definition that I read this morning, that's what it said. And what is your understanding of the stat Arizona statute that governs signature verification sixteen five fifty? Well it says that they should be compared. And then it infers after that for consistencies or inconsistencies, based on this is the path for an inconsistency. It uses the word compare. The standards that I use in my field and the standards that are written use comparison and compare. The training manual uses it, it was at least had input from a, someone like me. I don't want to drag her down to that level if she feels differently, but someone with similar background to me. It's a common word that we use in the English language, and it's no different in my industry what the word compare means. Your Honor, at at this time, we have no further questions. Very well. Who will be conducting the cross? I will, Your Honor. Morgan? Go ahead and proceed as soon as you are ready, sir. Yeah, may I use the podium? You use the podium, sir. I'm going to make sure I say your name right because I'm not particularly great with names. Spakine? That's actually right. I was going to say use Eric if you feel comfortable, but Spakine is correct, yes. Thank you, Mr. Spikine. Um, You'll agree with me in your profession, Details, a thing. It's important, right? Absolutely. Devil's in the details, as they say, right? Perhaps an overused phrase in our language, but I don't disagree. Okay. And you'll agree with me then that in connection with the signatures that we were just hearing you testify about in Exhibit 47, which is... A demonstrative. You didn't personally do any of these signature comparisons yourself, correct? That's right. I wasn't the level one reviewer or level two or whatever. You haven't seen any of those signatures, correct? Correct. I haven't seen a one. And you'll agree with me then, in the realm of possibility, it's entirely possible that many of those signatures completely matched. Well, I suspect some would have, yes. Okay. Now, again, I want to talk about details. Earlier in your testimony, my colleague brought up a case in Hong Kong. Do you remember that case? I remember very well. It's uh, Nina Kung versus Wong Dim Does that sound about right? That sounds correct. Okay. More or less, yeah. More or less, all right. You had testified that there was an opinion from a higher appellate court that essentially said – the intermediate or the lower appellate court got it wrong with respect to you. Is that right? I said the initial trial court. I didn't say the lower appellate court. Okay. There was an intermediate appellate decision, but I didn't say anything about that. And you, 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 if I understood your testimony, I'm summarizing, you feel like that appellate decision vindicated you essentially. No, I'm saying it backs up the fact that the judge copied what the other side wrote. Okay. Well, I would like to show the witness, Your Honor. I'd like to approach the clerk and have this marked as Next exhibit, it's the Supreme. It's the court case that he mentioned in his direct, Your Honor. May I approach? Him? You, you can mark it and you can approach him with it right now. Thank conference. you. We'll talk about Thank admissibility and later. got another copy I, please? I believe exhibit 48 do you have that in front of you yeah. uh, it doesn't say 48 but I have. oh yeah it does I have it yeah okay um I want you to turn with me. There's some numbers there at the bottom, okay? I want you to turn with me to page 91. Did you let me know when you're there? I'm there. All right. I'm going to read aloud paragraph 452, okay? Okay. This is the decision from this appellate court in Hong Kong. I did not find these arguments excusing the judge convincing. Not only was the evidence on ink dating wholly unsatisfactory... Mr. Spikin himself was wholly discredited as an expert witness for, among other things, claiming professional credentials that he lacked, claiming acceptance of his methods by the scientific community when that was false, and having been trapped into demonstrating that his opinions were quite unreliable. It would therefore have been wholly perverse for Yam J to do other than reject that evidence. However, even then, Yam J did so by copying verbatim, Almost the whole of the appellant submissions inviting such rejection. Did I read that correctly? Absolutely. You'll agree with me then that what the appellate court is saying is that the judge got it right. I don't believe that's what's in the entire opinion. Well, let's talk about what I read. I only want to talk about so what that I read. one paragraph doesn't yeah. say that? Of course. If you like, you can take a moment to point to me anywhere in the opinion where the judge indicates what you did and says you did a good job. Uh, I don't have one that says exactly that, but we have wholesale copying and an unfair trial is paragraph 445. Sure. Paragraph 90. Yeah, but the paragraph we read said to declare anything other than you falsified your credentials would be perverse. Those are his words, not mine, correct? Those was the words of the person who wrote that, yes. Okay. I'm saying there are other paragraphs that don't say the same thing is what I'm telling you. Can you point me to one that contradicts that paragraph? It just did. 445 on page 90. Slow down. Reporters trying to keep up. Now, you recall testifying earlier about your involvement in a case called EEOC versus Ethan Allen. You recall that? I do. And that's in the federal district court in the Northern District of Ohio, correct? It was, yeah, it's 20 some years old. You can approach the exhibits. But ask about approaching the witness' place. I do. Okay. Let's talk about exhibit forty. Is this the case that you were? Exhibit forty. I do. Okay. Let's talk about exhibit forty. Is this the case that you were? Giving testimony as an expert in? I never gave testimony as an expert. I gave a deposition, but never. That's right, because you were excluded as an expert in that case, correct? Correct. That's what I said. Okay. Now, let's talk about this case for a minute. You gave a statistical opinion in that case, didn't you? I did. And the court discredited you based on your lack of qualifications to give a statistical analysis, correct? Believe so, but you could point me to the paragraph. Sure, it does that. I'm I'm happy to do it. Let's take a look at page six. I'll read it aloud. Many of the criticisms leveled at Spikin by the Wayne Court could also serve as a basis for this court's conclusion that, based on the standards imposed by Daubert, Spikin's testimony is inadmissible in this case. Ultimately, however, the court finds two particular grounds especially compelling and independently sufficient to justify its conclusion, and the first being Spikine's statistical analysis is deeply suspect. Now, I ask you again, you were excluded from testifying in that case because your statistical analysis was suspect, correct? The analysis at one standard deviation, yeah. It's like you asked me if, because of my knowledge. I'm Yes, no, we're fine. Your Honor, I move Exhibits 40 and 48 into evidence. Any objections? Okay, they're admitted. Now, let's walk through. I want to revisit the Wang case. And let's walk through the information that the trial court said and that the appellate court found. It would be perverse to have concluded that you could be an expert otherwise. They conclude in the Wang case he did not study well. Actually, any of you has been marked as Exhibit Four. Hmm. Exhibit 43 is a copy of a decision from the Court of First Instance in the Wang case. Do you see that? I do. Can you please turn to page 211? Just let me know when you're there. I'm there. Now, at paragraph 29.5, the trial court in Hong Kong said he did not study statistics either in his BA degree and that is why he was not awarded a BSc degree. He is plainly deficient in his knowledge of statistics and chromatography disciplines. One would have thought essential for an analytical chemist, essentially one who offers himself to the court an expert, even more so for one who claims to be that, one of the world's leading experts in one particular branch of analytical chemistry, i.e. ink analysis. Did I read that correctly? You does. And do you disagree with that statement? Absolutely. Let's go to 29.8. Same page. He attempted to magnify his experience by claiming to have examined over 100,000 documents. When the sheer mathematical impossibility of this was pointed out to him, as it would have taken him 274 years to do it, he claimed that simply clicking over pages looking for something else amounted to an examination. Remember giving that testimony? Absolutely not what I said. Didn't tell the court that, in your opinion, that you flipping over the pages amounts to an examination. That's absolutely correct. I did not say that. Okay goes on to read, obviously has examined many documents in his short experience, but there's no way that this court can evaluate the extent or depth of that experience. This lack of experience may account for the reason why neither he himself nor his laboratory are included in ASTM's directory of scientific technical consultants consultants, and expert witnesses. Did I read that correctly? You did. Now, other courts have taken issue with what they consider to be misrepresentations about your experience, correct? I can recall one court that sent me a letter, sure. my, clarified with the judge by replying, but that's the only time I can think of that. Okay. Your Honor, I move into evidence, exhibits 43. Any objection on forty-three? There you go. forty-three will be admitted. You, you may thank you. This exhibit is exhibit forty-one. What? I do. This is the letter you were just referring to. Yes. And this is a letter that was sent to you from the Thirteenth Judicial Circuit from a judge. Philip E. Rogers, Jr., circuit court judge. You see that? I do. And this is a case called People versus Douglas William Adrian, correct? Yes. And you were appointed as an expert by the court in that case, correct? Yes, the court appointed me as the expert. That's exactly correct. Right, and this is a letter from the court that appointed you. That's exactly right. Okay, and the first sentence says, The court authorized your retention to provide expert witness services to this defendant. Next paragraph. However, I was extremely disappointed in your presentation. While I initially found you barely qualified to offer an expert opinion in this case, upon the completion of your examination, I came to the conclusion that I had made an error. The last paragraph on that page says, You also needed to address the, issue, the issues associated with your resume. You certainly did the defendant no good whatsoever when you were confronted with an affidavit to which a lawyer's weekly article had been attached. This was a clear indication to the court and the jury. That you countenanced an overblown statement of your credentials as they related to your work with the IRS and the Secret Service. You recall reading that when you saw it or when you received it? Of course. I move Exhibit 41 into evidence, Your Honor. In objection. Very well. 41's 41 admitted. Now, you testified earlier, I think I heard correctly, that you were a part, you gave testimony before one or both chambers of the legislature in Arizona. Yes, I said I wasn't sure. I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, I, of course. yeah sure I one that. or both. Yes. yes, I said that. That was when? I don't remember the date, a couple months ago. Okay, and that was in connection with work that you performed for an audit in 2020, right? I don't know if I would say audit. It was work that I performed on the 2020 ballots. Was that related to what might be commonly referred to the Cyber Ninjas audit? Does that sound familiar? Well, it was completely different from what they were doing. It was happening at the same period of time. So in that sense related, I mean, I wasn't working for them and they weren't working for me. And the ultimate conclusion in connection with your findings was that you couldn't really make a conclusion. You needed more information, Correct. I wouldn't say that, no. Okay. Angie, what's been marked as Exhibit thirty-eight? Do you recognize this? do. Did you create this? Yep. And this is your Executive Summary related to the work we're discussing now, correct? Right, I testified to more districts in front of Arizona, but specifically related to what happened in Arizona. This is the summary. Okay. Uh, Your Honor, I move Exhibit 38 in evidence. Objection. There, Your Honor. Okay. 38 submitted. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay, can we please turn to the second to last page of the exhibit? Um, it's two-sided. Do you mean, what is the first word at the top? Uh, the first word at the top is going to be when the contents of the box were examined. I'm there. You there? All right, let's go to the bottom. You see the section that says summary and discussion of further forensic review? Yes. Based on the forensic findings, it is my opinion that further work and review of the ballots, or the images at a minimum, should be conducted to determine what significance these findings have On the whole of the ballots cast, as well as possible statistical significance of the votes contained for a particular ballot item. Did I read that correctly? Absolutely. Here's your conclusion. Well, that's one of many, but you read that correctly. The conclusion then was that more work needs to be done. Well, it's my conclusion I would do more work. Okay. Now, the testimony, and I'm calling it testimony loosely, I understand. I don't know whether you're under oath, I wasn't there and you didn't say you were. But the testimony you gave recently in front of the legislature. Okay, you with me so far? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. All right, good. You were invited by whom to give that testimony? Liz Harris? No. No? Sonny something? Sonny Borelli? That sounds right. Okay. Yes, I think so. I think that's the name. And when you were there, you told the legislature you couldn't determine for sure if any votes in that election that you were reviewing illegally counting. Fair? I don't recall saying that, but I would say that if I were asked the question now. I don't have independent record election to that statement, okay. but it's a fair statement. And based on what you've reviewed in connection with the opinion you've given today with the 2022 general election, that would also be your answer, correct? You can't say with any certainty that an improper vote was illegally counted or rejected. I can't say one way or the other. I'm not drawing opinion that it was or was not. Okay are you aware that after that hearing you testified at, the representative was eventually expelled from the House of Representatives for that hearing? I heard something in my travels this week that someone came in and was, uh, I don't know what the word is, maybe you have a better word than me, ultra excited, and the I don't know. I wasn't there, and I haven't seen it. I'm not trying to be funny. I just don't want to use an inflammatory word. Sure. But something like that, and then the person who invited them got in big trouble. I didn't know the extent of the trouble, or I didn't maybe remember it, but I heard something about it. Now, forensic, okay, that word, that means the application of scientific principles to legal cases, right? That's what it means to me. In forensic science, yes. Okay. Now, ultimately, the opinions you gave today through your testimony, they are based on a set of assumptions. Fair? Objection, Your Honor. we would ask that the witness lay a foundation for what assumptions he's referring to. Well, he can answer if he understands. If he doesn't understand, we can have it rephrased. I understand the question. I'm just taking time to think what the assumptions could be because I don't have. (laughs) Take your time. Give me just a second. Sure, take your time. Your Honor, may I also ask that counsel stop interrupting with us and let him finish his answer? If I'm doing that, Your Honor, I apologize. I'll be better. For the sake of my court reporter, too, please be slower. (laughs) Both, Both question and answer need to slow down, please. Of course. I think I'm equally at fault for the pace, so we can share. Um, You all have better places to be, Mr. Speaking. I agree with you. I'm at a loss as to what an assumption would be. I'm not saying there aren't any. Okay, but I can't think of one, and I'm not sure if I'm missing an obvious one, but perhaps you can give me an example and I can run from there. Well, your opinion assumes the information you were given is adequate. It's correct. Oh, in other words, what, we, what was asked for is what was given by the county. That's an assumption. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and it assumes the people you spoke with told you the truth, for example. I would say, yeah, see where you're going. It would assume that the totality, not only of the people that I spoke to, but the other witnesses, the videos, and all that would corroborate one another. I believe it does, but could there be one aspect that doesn't? I, I can't say. The general assumption, then, is that the information that you've relied on, that you testified to today, that you relied on informing your opinion here, the assumption is that all of that's accurate, it's reliable. Is that a fair statement? Objection, Your Honor. I, I, I just don't know what opinion he's referring to. Okay. I would just ask that you would clarify and be specific. Okay, if there's a specific opinion, you can rephrase it if you mean all the opinions. I mean every one of them, Judge, and re-ask the question so well, he understands that. Thank you, Your Honor. With respect to every opinion you've given here today, whatever it may be, you would agree with me that an underlying assumption, as I've been using the term, that a foundation, if you will, to the accuracy of your opinion is that the information you relied on to form that opinion was accurate and reliable? Is that a fair statement? That the foundation for that specific opinion Correct. would be. Not everything that you gave me that I said I evaluated is the foundation for every opinion. We're on the same page. It was a general question. I think we're on the same page. So it must follow then that if, with respect to any specific information you relied on in connection with any specific opinion you gave today, if that information is unreliable, then your opinion is unreliable to that extent as well, correct? To whatever limited extent or large extent, depending on the nature of the unreliability or question, it could have a small to negligible impact to a large impact. That is correct. It would be variable as to the exact situation. And you'll agree with me, and I think you said this a moment ago, and I appreciate the candor, at this point with respect to this case and your opinion on the twenty twenty two or twenty twenty two general election, you really can't say one way or the other based on what you've reviewed whether a single vote was improperly counted, one way or the other. Fair? I'm not here to draw that opinion and I'm not saying that. You're not here to so you're not giving an opinion on that. I have not and I intend not to, if at all possible, that is correct. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) You agree with me that one relevant factor in your analysis here today with respect to your opinion as it relates to Exhibit 48? 48. The table? The table. Is that Exhibit 48? 7. Exhibit 47, okay. You'll agree with me with respect to your opinion as it relates to Exhibit 47, one factor relevant to that is the number of employees, either full-time or part-time, that Maricopa County had engaged or hired to do the ballot signature comparison. Fair? I'm not sure about one factor. I mean, the more they employed, the more pieces of paper it took up, if you mean that. If they had less, it would be a smaller table. If they had more, it would be a bigger table. Okay, fair enough. Do you know how many employees Maricopa County hired to engage in ballot signature comparisons in the 2022 election? For ballot signature comparisons, yes. based on the data and the testimony, was 155. Okay. And it specifically mean the testimony of Mr. Valens- or Ray, as he has to be referred to, for 155 in this jive. Okay. Or a line, I should say. Now... Um, I don't know that I heard this on direct. Who retained you to give testimony in this action? My retainer agreement's with Mr. Olson. With Kurt Olson? Yes. Okay. Counsel? Yes, the person's asking me the question. Yeah, and you're being paid for your testimony? I'm being paid for my time away from my family and my time involved in the case. As you should be. Um, how much are you being paid? The hourly rate my firm bills is six hundred dollars an hour for my time. Okay. For every minute spent, whether it's in travel or here, I'm not charging for the time that I'm sleeping and things like that. And you'll agree with me that your your job, essentially your gig, is you're a professional expert witness, fair? I would... I wouldn't pigeonhole myself that narrow that that's what my whole life is about, but that is the source of where I go to work every day, and that is what I do for the hours in the day when I'm not being a husband and father and that sort of thing, yes. Right. And you testified you're a forensic document analyst. Did I, am I saying that right? Yes, I said forensic document analyst and chemist. Okay. And chemist, that your undergraduate degree, now remind me, that's a Bachelor of Arts? Yes, from the College of Natural Science with a major in okay. chemistry. Not a bachelor of science. It is not a bachelor of science. And now, forensic document analyst, is that a title you just gave yourself? No, it's a common title that's used by people in my profession with a similar background and training that I have. And no regulatory organization gave you that title, correct? That's right. And there's no specific licensing requirement to call oneself a forensic document analyst correct i agree yes and you weren't conferred a forensic document analyst by any organization or school correct um i would say no i was not would be fair yes i mean i've been called that by organizations but not Conferred that. So the answer to the question is I have not. That's right. But you'll agree with me that essentially in your line of work you can call yourself whatever you want, right? Could I call myself whatever I want? Sure. Right. I mean in court the object is you have to be proven to back that up, which I have hundreds of times. But yes, I could call myself what I want, I think. I mean I don't I wouldn't call myself a doctor or a lawyer, but I mean related, yes. You're related to a doctor or a lawyer? I'm sorry. No. no, related to what I do. My condolences if you are. I don't think I am. That's not what I meant. I'm sorry. Um, you don't have a formal degree in any sort of forensic document analysis. Fair? fair? And true. And true. And you're not certified as a document examiner or a signature comparison person. Fair? Fair and true, yes. And you are Sir, have you heard of the American Board of Forensic Document Examiners? Have. No. And do they give a certification of any kind for forensic document analysts? I think they call it forensic document examiners based on the name. I don't have that, but I believe that's what they call it. And you don't have that as well, correct? Correct, I do not. Okay. Now, at one point, were you a member of the American Academy of Forensic Scientists? I was. And as a member, you had an ethics complaint lodged against you. Does that sound right? I did. And shortly after that, you no longer continued to be a part of that group. You didn't renew your membership, correct? That's exactly correct. Okay. How many, you testified earlier that you'd taken some training courses, continuing education. Is that what they are? Sorry, when you turn around, I have a hard time here. No, nope, that's fair. That's fair. My apologies. I'm sorry. That's all right. You testified earlier, I think, that you've taken some training courses. Did I hear that correctly? Yes. Continuing education was the other okay. thing. Yeah, I agree with that. And none of those continuing education courses were in connection with determining how long someone who is working for an election department, state or county, can or should take to review signatures in compliance with the law. Is that a fair statement? That's fair. Okay. And true. How many of your training courses were specifically on the speed it takes to verify signatures? There were none of the training courses that I had or have taken that that exact topic was covered. Okay. You have a moment, Your Honor, to confer with counsel. I may be finished. Okay. Thank you, Your Honor. So I want to talk for a moment again about the assumptions we were talking about earlier. Do you remember that conversation? Do. Yep. Now you'll agree with me that a pretty critical assumption, if you will, in connection with your testimony related to the table exhibit. You know what I'm talking about. The the table of the you call it the click through table. I, I didn't call it that. I know what table you mean because there's only okay. been one. Right. Right. But when you said the critical assumption, I'm not. I haven't gone to it yet. I'm. the oh. I'm asking the question. I just want to make sure we're on the same page, Mr. Speaker. Were you on the same page so far? Same page, meaning I know the table that you're talking yes. about, whatever title you give it. Correct. Exhibit whatever? Exhibit, sorry, Your Honor. Exhibit 47? Uh, 47. 47, yes. Thank you. Um, you'll agree with me that a an important assumption there in the conclusions that you reached based on that exhibit is that, in fact, the act of a signature verification one way or the other occurred. I should say signature comparison occurred. Well, first, there's, two, there's one problem with the question, and, and I'll just try to shortcut it if you'll let me. Of course. And that is, you said my opinion was based on the table, and that's not exactly true. As we know, it's a demonstrator, so I had the opinion the table is demonstrating it. Sure. I'm not trying to be nitpicky. I'm just saying. That's fair. The second part is you said that it's, I don't totally understand it, that it's based right on, on. Yeah, if you mine mind. Yes, please. Because it's, it's my fault. <laughs> oh, it's fine. It's um, you'll agree with me that in order to reach any conclusion about the speed, one way or the other, with respect to, what's being owned in Exhibit 47. Um, you're, that assumed that, in fact, the act of a signature comparison, whether you agree with whether it was adequate or not, the act of the signature comparison occurred. I understand what you're saying. So, yes, it does assume that the keystroke that's being logged from the computer and in timestamped is the action of some sort, whether it be a pass... A fail a spousal exception, no signature, of curing, whatever. There's a lot of different codes. Sure. But it's entering a code that relates to the signature verification process. And that was told in the response, and that's what was asked for. But I'm assuming that's what it is. You're right. Perfect. Thank you. Your Honor, for the Secretary of State, there are no further questions. I do believe Maricopa County might have a couple. Yeah. All right. So, Mr. LaRue, you have cross examination as well. I do, just very brief, Your Honor. Mm -hmm. Good afternoon, Mr. Specking. How are you? I'm good. Um, I have just a few questions for you and I just want to be sure that the record is clear is is why I'm asking them. You alluded to some of this earlier, but I'm asking the direct questions because as I said, I want to be sure that it's in the record clearly. You've never well strike that. Earlier, you were in your testimony. You were talking about comparing signatures. Do you remember using that terminology? Yes, I remember the word compare many, many times. Okay. You've never compared signatures for elections under ARS 16550, have you? Uh, correct. I have not. Okay. Um, in fact. In general, when you're called to give an expert opinion about signature comparison, it generally has to do with fraud or areas such as that, not elections. Is that correct? I've had plenty of election cases, but it is not a large percent of my overall body of cases based on handwriting. That's a true statement. Would you say that the majority of your cases relate to fraud? I'm not a fan of term because it has a predisposed uh, connotation, um, perhaps determining if there was fraud, dishonesty, whatever. I, it's an inflammatory term, and I try not to use that in my life, let alone when I'm testifying. I get what you're saying, and I would answer generally yes. I just don't like the term fraud, but I know what you mean. Okay, and fair really, enough. How would you describe it? Uh, it's de- trying to determine... If forensic science can assist the trier of the fact with a specific question, whether somebody did or did not do something, or whether somebody did or did not write something as we're talking in this case. In other cases, it could be when it was written, altered, changed, added to, all those things that I talked about, but I don't think you want to rehash them, but specific to handwriting, did they or did they not? I don't use the word fraud in my opinion, like, since my opinion is this: it's a fraud. Like I would never do that. Okay, I understand. Um, I'm going to use the word fraud because we both. We, I think you just testified. You understand what I'm meaning when I say that, even if it's not the your preferred term for for getting at this. Is that is that correct? I'm fine answering your questions as long as you understand that's not a term that I would use, but I know what you mean. I'll do my best to answer it in that context. Fair enough. Thank you. Um. Is there a set number of signature exemplars that you are supposed to use when you do fraud examinations? Um, back to what we said about, there was an argument earlier about best practices or wish lists or wanna haves. Mm-hmm. There's an idea that I would like to get, but not a standard of must have. I mean, you must have one, mm. unless you're comparing multiple signatures at issue to one another, like I talked about on a ballot or a petition, which is a different scenario, but you can do it with one. Okay. Is I there a wish list? Personally, yes. Do you know if there's an industry best practices standard? Yes, there is. And what is that? An amount sufficient to make a determination. Okay. So it's not a numerical amount, just for the reason that I said. Okay. Would you agree with me that strike that? When you are doing a signature comparison for purposes of a fraud determination, say for a bank or you know, on a check or, or whatever the case may be, would you agree that the more exemplars you have, the better? Oh, absolutely. I mean, with obvious certain limitations and ridiculous exceptions. But as a general term, 10 is better than 5, 6 is better than 3. I agree. Okay. Um, When you do that type of signature comparison that you and I are talking about right now for a fraud examination, say for a bank, with, with a check that, may have been fraudulently written, if you have 10 signature exemplars, is best practices to look at all 10, if you are satisfied that those 10 are known signatures? Absolutely. Would you agree with me that if you're doing a signature comparison, and you look at 10 signatures that will take longer than if you look at two signatures it absolutely should and you would agree it would take longer than if you look at one It absolutely should yes um you may not know the answer to this and it is perfectly fine to say I do not know. I'm, I'm not trying to lead you to say something that you don't know, okay? But are you aware of I do not know? I'm, I'm not trying to lead you to say something that you don't know, okay? But are you aware of whether under Arizona law Those who do signature comparison for early ballots are required to look at a set number of exemplars. Well, the only standards that I'm familiar with would be the EPM and the 16550A, I believe. You're nodding your head, so I think I got that right. And in those two, I'm not aware of a numerical requirement, just like in the standards in my field, that's set forth. You could surprise me and tell me there is one that I didn't see, but I'm not aware of one. I don't know if there's other laws in Arizona that pertain, so I have no way to answer that question other than those two. Okay, fair enough. Very good. Um, I want to go back to the table for just a moment. And it's the only table we've been discussing, so you're aware of what table I'm I'm speaking of, correct? I got you. Okay. Um, As you're right now, can you say with 100% certainty that any of the workers that were identified in, in column one failed to conduct signature verification. Objection, Your Honor. The table had a number of references. Are you referring to the whole table or with respect to certain rates? I, I'm referring to the table as a whole. Sorry, I turned around and I realized my voice may trail off. Um, I'm referring to the table as a whole. The left column has workers, and there were a number of workers. Stood, and then there were lines going across saying, you know, less than so many signatures, less or less than so many seconds, less than so many seconds, less than so many seconds. My question is, the table as a whole, the workers on that table, can you say, as you said here, with 100% certainty? that any of those workers did not conduct signature verification. Any of them. I don't believe any of my opinions today are expressed to 100% certainty, nor can I think of any in the last 30 years that I've expressed to a 100% certainty. I, generally, like inflammatory terms, I try to stay away from 100% as well. Okay. And... I realize based on the the answer you just gave, and I know what your next answer will be, but so that the record is clear and then I'm done, Your Honor. As you sit here today, can you say with 100% certainty that no signature verification occurred in Maricopa County for the 2022 general election? I would say the same answer for the same reasons, meaning no, I would not say that. Thank you, Your Honor. any other cross-examination by any other defendant? Very well. Okay. Redirect, Mr. Olson. Okay, thank you. Mr. Spikine, you were uh, asked a number of questions where your answer was cut off regarding some cases in which you had been criticized. Was there anything that you wanted to say that you were not able to say? Well, yes, like, For instance, the letter from the judge that he read from the 13th Circuit, he skipped over the paragraph that says, you clearly have some specialized knowledge and training with regard to ink identification and document examination. Your experience in Greece analysis, which is what I was appointed as an expert in that case, is woefully lacking. I never disputed it in that trial. I don't dispute it today. I'm not an expert in Greece. In that case, I testified to FTIR results. As a chemist, that's what I look at. I was trained in that. It was part of my education. I do that. It was a very simple analysis. The judge didn't like the bill and wrote me this letter. I wrote a letter back. That was the end of the issue. I've testified in this jurisdiction, but again, I mean, and the judge even says here I have specialized knowledge. Skipping ahead to document examination, it was unfair the way it was read, and I understand it's cross examination, but that's how it goes. Any of the other cases that were presented in front of you that you'd like to comment on? One of the opinions was quite lengthy. Well, the Hong Kong opinion, I got thrown a Court of Appeals opinion. It's this thick, double-sided, and asked if I could point to a paragraph that said something to the opposite. Obviously, I can't, as I sit here right now. I read one because I knew where it was. And what, could you read that again? And I'm not sure I can. Oh, this is a wrong one. Let me correct my answer and say, this is the one that was handed to me from the Court of Fundable Appeal, not the one. Which exhibit me. number is that, sir? This is 48. And there are, are, I'm not an expert in legal opinions, especially from Hong Kong, uh, nor am I from the United States, but definitely not Hong Kong. Um, I can tell you that it appears that print judges wrote different things like our Supreme Court does in some occasions. I don't know that for certain. That's just the way I take it. Um, The paragraph that I read just says an extraordinarily large portion consisted of pages copied verbatim from the submissions. Like in one of the paragraphs that he read from the opinion, it had the number two, which he didn't read because it's not an audible sound, uh, because it was actually copied a typo from the previous ones. It talked about a testimony of 100,000 examinations, it isn't at all what I said. It was quoting a testimony from a case in Tulsa, Oklahoma, called Utica Square versus Renbergs that I had testified on in 1998 about a case that I had looked at for General Motors, and there were 100,000 documents involved in the case. Then they twist the words without including the transcript and put it in there, submit to the judge, and the judge photocopied it. It's completely unfair. It's from over 20 years ago. I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's demeaning and upsetting, and it's not at all a reflection of what happened, but that's just my opinion. Any other opinions that were put in front of you that you'd like to comment on? Uh, The last one was the EEOC opinion, and if you read the last part of the opinion, it wasn't that I'm not an expert at all. It says, I'll just read it exactly so I don't paraphrase it incorrectly, The Keene's deposition testimony suggests there may be other methods to determine age that would be admissible in this case, but and go on to say, I'll just paraphrase and say, but I didn't have them in that case. There's only one method, and the judge said that method was not allowable. Keeping in mind, that's what everybody uses today, by the way. You've qualified as an expert, I believe, and I want to go through everything, but you've qualified as an expert in hundreds of cases, correct? Multiple hundreds of cases in court, yes. And that's with respect to forensic document examination and handwriting analysis? Yes, and anything, yes. And you've also been retained by various government agencies to, yeah, opinions about forensic document analysis and handwriting analysis? Yes, and continue to be. Council asked you some questions about the touches with respect to the data that Maricopa provided. You recall what, so that's what I want to refer to. And I believe you've probably seen in some of the testimony yesterday, there is the notion that the signature verifier will go back and check the batch of signatures that they have already compared. As part of the, the cross check. Do you recall that? I remember that testimony, yes. That was from Mr. Valentuela. Yeah. And when the, when the reviewer, the verifier is going back, does that result in a change that's reflected in the data? Objection, Your Honor. I think this is beyond the scope of my cross examination. I don't believe it is. Fair enough. Thank you. No, the request was for keystrokes of determinative outcomes, good signature, bad signature in simple terms, and there's all this, uh, and a date and time stamp facility with those. It's not date timestamping, left and right arrows, scrolling, things like that. But you do see when people are going very fast, times where there's 200 seconds with nothing, That could very well be that time when someone might be scrolling back in 150 seconds, 200 seconds, whatever the case may be. And it's not logging a keystroke for that. It's just a long period of time where it doesn't log any keystrokes because there were no determinative outcomes. So if a signature verifier is going back to, re- to review their work and not making any changes but just going back quickly without making changes, that activity is not reflected in the data that maricopa county provided other than the increase in time for those two sequential keystroke entries the last one before they scrolled back and the first one perhaps when they start a new batch or change one very far into the batch i mean i don't know what they did but it's only by a lag of seconds it's not date time stamping those right left scrolling clicks whatever you want to call them So does the act of going back without making a change affect the rate of comparison as reflected in your analysis and in what was reflected in Exhibit 47? No, 47 is not affected at all by whether someone did or did not scroll back, how fast they scroll back, nothing like that. I'd like to pull Exhibit Twenty-One, and Your Honor, if I may, can I get that exhibit and give a hard copy to the witness? It may be just easier. This is the uh, this is set of emails. I don't think that's easy. If you can, you want to use Exhibit Twenty-One to show him, yeah. yes, Your Honor, I want to make sure it's the right number. Here. Mr. Uh, Spagan, you've just been handed <coughs> twenty one. Which the first two pages are the original public request sent to Maricopa County on February third, twenty twenty-three, which underpins the the data that was ultimately received in PR fourteen eighty-two, which underpins the the data that you have drawn for your opinion. Correct? Yes. Have you seen this document before? I have. Is there anything in this document that assures you that the data that Maricopa sent was complete for purposes of your analysis and opinion? Yes, there are multiple responses to the request, saying this fulfills your request. This is what it is to that effect, that it fulfills the request of what you're requesting. And nothing to the contrary. And... What was the data that was being requested as it relates to the opinions you have offered here today and the data that is reflected in Exhibit 47? The data that's reflected in 47 is the unique identifier. So that would be the worker, the anonymized anonymized user number for the worker and the calculation from the date timestamp as to how much time elapsed between successive entries of date and timestamp, and then what the disposition is. That's where the percentage comes from. What percentage? You okay? Yeah. I have a new hip and it just popped out. So I think it just popped back in. So we're okay. okay. It just didn't feel good for a second. Sorry. Okay, if it's your hip. Yeah, no, I'm fine now. I just want to stand up and stretch? I think that's the last thing I want to do, Your Honor, but thank you. Okay. Oh, hold on a second. Break. No, thank you. It just got me for a second there. It was like a got me. stabbing pain. Sorry. I wasn't trying to give everyone else a panic there. Well, I'm just trying to make sure, A number one, you're okay. I'm okay, Your Honor. Thank Not you. Any kind of distress and you don't need a break because I'll give you one if you won't. No, I'm good. I'm good now. Thank you. I would. Okay. I'm sorry. What was the question? I don't remember. You don't need to apologize. He's going to ask another question. The data that you, that Maricopa produced in connection with PRR 1482, you were referring to certain data. If you turn to the page... Identified at the bottom right hand corner, Lake twenty one eight ninety six, and then eight ninety seven will move to that as well. And this is a document that's in reverse cron order, correct? The, the email string? Right, it's an email string with the newest at the top or the front. Okay. And do you see at where it says Lake twenty one eight ninety six at the bottom right hand corner? Yes, I'm there. Okay. And if you move to the top of the page, you see that's it's cutting off. And so it's, as you go in reverse cron order and you flip to, forward to 895, where it has at the bottom of 895 a date on 5 4 2023 PRR wrote, good afternoon, we the people. Yes, I see that. <laughs> so, so flip back over. Do you see that on 896, that's part of the Maricopa's response to we the people? Right, the May 4 3.47 p.m. response continues on to the top of 8.96. I follow. And do you see the five items of data? Yes. Okay. Is this the, the data, or at least some of it, the data that underpins your opinions and the uh, data reflected in Exhibit 47? Yes, specifically points 2, 3, and 4. Do you have any reason to believe that the data in points two, three, and four that Maricopa provided was not complete and accurate? No. Turning to the uh, exhibit 47. Mr. LaRue asked you some questions about the overall chart, uh, that was displayed here and your opinions thereon and said, can you, you know, say with 100% certainty that every vote, I've got his exact words, but not every vote was properly counted or some such. So do you recall that? I remember the two questions about 100%. Yes. Okay. Are you offering an opinion as to whether or not a signature can be compared in six seconds or less? I didn't express such an opinion. I have one, but I didn't express that. No. You didn't offer express an opinion on that, correct? Are you offering an opinion as to whether or not a signature can be compared in four seconds or less? No, I didn't offer an opinion on that. The opinion that you offered was with respect to comparing a signature, I think as we used before in simple terms, less than three seconds, correct? Mm -hmm. That was the opinion that I expressed, and, and further with less than two seconds, you asked me as well. And your opinion was that it was not possible to compare signatures in less than three seconds in the context of why we're here today, correct? On the mass scale context, I said it cannot be done. Could you pick one time out of 10,000 where someone could do that? Maybe you could, but not on a mass scale like in the thousands and thousands. No, it's my opinion. You cannot do that. You cannot do a comparison in that time. Mr. LaRue asked you some questions about The having more than one reference signature. Do you recall that? I do. Is your opinion predicated on the existence of more than one reference signature or that it is one signature from a uh, ballot envelope compared to one reference signature? My opinion is not predicated on either. If you I gave the benefit of the doubt saying the time of only comparing one. Clearly in two seconds you're not scrolling and finding three and comparing all three in two seconds. That's even more preposterous. But that wasn't what the opinion was based on. It's that you can't even compare one in that time. Obviously it follows you can't compare two, three, or four because as I answered his question, that obviously takes more time. And what do you base your opinion on the inability to compare two signatures in the context of the system that Maricopa County has employed for the 2022 general election. (laughs) Education, training, and experience. I mean, that manual or the training program does a nice job of spelling out the basics of what you would look for in handwriting. It's what I would look for. I know what to look for. I do this every day. I can't believe there could be thousands of people, and I'm not trying to be offensive when I say this, in Maricopa County that don't do this every day and have a four-hour training or a 40-hour training that can do it so much faster than I ever could. I don't believe that, no. In terms of the training that you saw, Maricopa gives signature verification workers to compare handwriting. Do you recall that? I recall the training, yes. Are you saying that the time to compare a signature for a signature uh, verifier would have to follow, for example, all 11 steps in order to be a, a valid comparison? No, I'm not assuming they would have to follow all 11 steps. I mean, it's a guideline. I have guidelines in my industry in which is, in certain instances, you might not follow all 11 or all the steps. I, I understand that. Specifically, if you have an exception, I'm not going to say that word, if you have a fail, if you see the two are drastically different very quickly, that could be a fail quickly. I understand that. What is in this table and what we're talking about are the times and the percentages where it's passing, where people are saying, They compared, and they're consistent. When you say they, you mean they compared the two signatures and came to a determination that the two signatures were consistent. Right, the ballot envelope, and whether it be one or more, but at least one of the historical exemplars, I think is what people call reference exemplars. And when you use the uh, term compare you are you using that in the uh, in the sense of what we see you know talked about the steps of signature comparison or as the term compare is used in the normal english language under the definition say in webster's of compare so when i say compare i'm not saying you have to follow the 11 step procedure to make a comparison i'm using the word compare as you use in the English language, but it's also the same that I use and they're in the standards in my industry of compare. To look closely to determine if two things, or in this case signatures, are similar or dissimilar, or in the form of 1550, consistent or inconsistent, is the way it's phrased there. So merely because two signatures flash up on a screen is that a comparison in your mind? That's my point. It's not. And why is that? It would be like thumbing through this opinion like this and saying, I just read it. You're going to I say I read it and you say you didn't and you're arguing. There's no, the simple fact is no one could read it that fast. No one that I've ever encountered in my life could read it that fast. So the answer is you did not read it. I, don't know, I must hesitate to say this, but I'll just say thank you. We, we have no further questions at this time. Okay. Can we excuse the witness? I have nothing further for the witness, Your Honor. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaking. Are you okay to stand up? We're, gonna We're going to know what's the target. Well, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, We're let's... not doing it that way. Let's not just see and find out. Let's. Okay. Okay. I a good doctor, that's fine. <laughs> Thank you for the concern, but I'm frozen, i good. Thank you. Your Honor, would the court like me to retrieve the exhibits and put them back? Yes, please, that would be yeah, perfect. Yes, you can do that. Yeah. Do you have any other witnesses? <laughs> You're not your honor. Okay, so plaintiff's rest? Very you do, your honor. Well, coincidentally, this is the time we'll take the afternoon recess. Okay, for uh, fifteen minutes, and then we'll come back and I'll address defendants. (laughs) we're going to stick right
1: Whew!
2: What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Nick Moe Cedar here. And I got Ben with me, so this is going to be very brief. Well, that was a lot more substantive than the previous half of this court proceeding. Um, It's very simple what's going on here for those that are a little lost. Eric Spikin is making the argument, and he is a forensic document analyst that has testified in, I believe, hundreds, hundreds of trials... And he has attested that a signature verification less than three seconds is not a signature verification at all. It would not, no no one he's ever encountered in his lifetime is capable of doing that. And he's sitting here telling you, I do this every single day. This is all that I do. And I couldn't verify a signature that quickly. So there's no way that these people that receive a four hour training from Maricopa County could do it. And. So he put that statement on the record that anything less than three seconds is not a signature verification at all, to which the Maricopa County attorneys attempted to, rather than focus on the substance of his uh, argument, they proceeded to spend like an hour trying to discredit the witness and bring up prior cases um, where he was, I guess, one time in the last 30 years disqualified. Oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You see what I'm trying to do here? It's very difficult. This is going to have to be very, very brief. Van, van down. Please don't unplug that. Literally, that would unplug my power strip and everything, all the equipment that I'm using at the moment. So I definitely don't want him to do that. But, yeah. So the county proceeded to try to discredit him as a witness, and uh, I believe that they failed to do that. When, <laughs> when Kurt Olson got back and um allowed him to clarify a little bit what happened in those prior cases I believe that it it, it all holds up they were referring to one particular case where he was uh, they said that he had basically misrepresented his credentials and that he did not have qualifications that would uh, make him a qualified expert in the case right well basically what what he was what he clarified is that, this was a, I believe the case took place in Greece or the document that he was forensically tasked with examining was in Greek. And they said you don't have the qualifications to forensically analyze something in Greek. That's outside of your realm of credentials, your education, your qualifications. It was it was about that and it was not about his qualifications as a forensic document analyst. They even said further in the uh, judge's opinion that you actually do have substantial credentials relating to uh, document examination so i believe that his credibility holds up um there was another statement he gave in response to kurt olson where he said that he has been uh you know i'm so distracted with my kid i'm gonna have to wrap this up but uh he has been contracted by multiple government agencies and continues to be. So, if if this case where he was uh, he was removed from or disqualified from was really this bombshell that they're making it, then why does the, the government continue to contract him as a forensic document analyst to examine signatures and stuff like that? So I believe uh, I believe his credibility stands. And what this is all going to come, man. Just give daddy one second, please. I got to play with this kid. He's, he's, he's being patient, as patient as an 18-month-old can be. Here, you want to press the button? Here, press this one. Make my desk go up. There you go. That's his favorite button. That's his favorite button. <laughs> there you go. He loves that one. All right, so uh, what this is all going to come down to is whether or not... It's all going to come down to this judge's definition of what... Oh geez, of what signature verification is. Right? Because remember this judge said, he's tasking Carrie Lake with proving that there was no signature verification done at uh, level two or level three whatsoever, and that this lack, this failure by the county to conduct signature verification actually affected the outcome of the election. So what Maricopa County and the Secretary of State are attempting to do here is they're just trying to basically say there was some form of signature verification that occurred. Even Kerry Lake's own... <laughs> this is a joke at this point, the fact that I'm trying to do this. Why am I here? Van is not tolerating it he's He's not happy. he wants Daddy all to himself. all right I, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish this up and we're gonna give you something to eat. So uh anyways, where was I? Oh yeah, the county's basically trying to say, look, there was some form of uh signature verification that occurred. Kerry Lake even brought in two witnesses that were part of the process, so how can you possibly say? There was no signature verification when you brought in witnesses that testified that they were part of that uh, process. So they're going for the most liberal definition possible. They're taking the judge's words and they're trying to operate in a definition that's as liberal as possible. They're trying to say, you know, th- their goal here is to disprove that even one signature was verified at all. And they think that's enough to get this court case uh, tossed completely. Whereas Kerry Lake's attorneys, Brian Blem and Kurt Olson, they're trying to use a different definition. And they're they're trying to explain that if these signature verifiers, these these, uh, election workers, did not conduct a thorough enough signature verification by um, any reasonable standard, then we can say that there was no signature verification. Right. So if if we have an expert saying anything less than three seconds is completely insufficient, then we can make the argument that there was no signature verification on whatever number of ballots were so-called verified in less than three seconds, and that number is somewhere close to 200,000, I believe. Um, There was hundreds of thousands of ballots that were allegedly verified or approved in less than three seconds. So if the judge accepts that definition and accepts this assertion from Kerry Lake's expert, Eric Spikin, then this is an open and shut case. But it's all going to come down to which definition he adopts. And there's one thing that's really concerning for me, and that is the fact that in the first half, there was an objection, and the objection was about the relevancy of something uh, that, that I think Kurt Olson was trying to present. They said it was irrelevant. And so the judge actually overruled the objection and clarified that, um, you know, what he basically clarified what is relevant to this case. And he said, we are here to address whether or not signature verification occurred. Right, so he sort of, he sort of laid the framework for why we're here and what it is that Kerry Lake is tasked with accomplishing. And uh, the way that he spoke, the way that he spoke um, made me a little concerned that he is adopting this liberal definition that the county is using, if that makes sense. So that's my analysis so far. Uh, I'm still reserving judgment. It's all going to come down to this judge and how literal... How literal his definition is of signature verification like you know if i just sit there log into my computer and click approve 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 are you going to say that those signatures that just flashed on my screen for half a second are verified because if he does go that route if this judge does go that route then you better believe that kerry lake is going to appeal this appeal this to the arizona supreme court and ultimately to the U.S. Supreme Court. That is absolutely what's going to happen here if the judge tries to uh, pull, pull pull that off, because that is just completely illogical, uh, especially when you consider that Terry Lake never made the argument that there was no signature verification whatsoever. That was not part of her complaint. That's not what she alleged. She alleged that there was problems... At every level of the process. So, anyways, that's about all I can muster right now. i got to get back to my kid. So we're on a 15-minute break. It's already been, what, five or six minutes. So the uh, trial will resume shortly. And at the end, I'm probably going to be in the middle of giving my kid a bath, uh, dinner, and bedtime routine. So I won't be giving any commentary. I'm probably just going to shut down the broadcast. So thanks for tuning in. Be sure to click that like button, and I'll go ahead and put the uh, stream back up.
0: Hey, got everybody. Hang on, Mr. Lady, Your Honor. He'll be along presently, I'm sure. I'm sorry? He'll be along presently, I'm sure. He's right behind me. Okay. Right, this is CV 2022-095403. This is Carrie Lake versus Katie Hobbs et al., the continuation of the trial in this matter. Present for the record are either parties, their designated representatives, or their presence having been waived. And we have counsel for each of the respective parties. So, for defendants, plaintiffs of rested. defendants,
1: Your Honor, Elena Rodriguez Armenta for Governor Hobbs. We would now move the court for a um, judgment on directed verdict uh, characterized by the Arizona Rules of Procedure under 52C as a motion for judgment on partial findings.
0: Your Honor, we would oppose, of course. I couldn't find Arizona. Is that your motion? Oh, no,
1: Your Honor. No no worries. Your Honor, may I ask, would you prefer that I address you from the lectern or from... It
0: doesn't matter to me as long as you're in front of a microphone. Great.
1: Ms. Lake has rested her case in chief and for the second time before this court has failed to meet her burden. Based on this court's two orders and the Arizona Supreme Court's order granting remand as to this one issue, in order to succeed, Ms. Lake was required to prove this week by clear and convincing evidence allegations that no signature verification was conducted as to level one in addition to allegations that level two and three verifications did not occur and established that votes were affected in sufficient numbers to alter the outcome of the election based on a competent mathematical basis because miss lake has been fully heard on an issue during a non-jury trial governor hobbs secretary of state fontes and maricopa county jointly moved this court to enter judgment on partial findings against miss lake on her signature verification claim pursuant to Arizona Rule of Civil Procedure 52C. As mm-hmm. Ms. Lake has failed to meet her burden regardless... Well sure, certainly.
0: How are you, but the court will
1: Thank you. As Ms. Lake has failed to meet her burden, regardless of what defendants may offer in our own case-in-chief, this court should deny Ms. Lake's count three and dismiss this case. Simply put, the testimony of Lake's witnesses cannot support a finding that no signature verification was conducted at levels 1, 2, and 3. Ms. Lake called six witnesses total, including co-director of elections for Maricopa County, Mr. Ray Valenzuela. Neither the testimony of Lake's witnesses nor any admitted exhibits can support a finding that Maricopa County did not conduct any signature verification and any curing at levels 1, 2, and 3. Indeed, the testimony at trial thus far supports a finding of just the opposite. Beginning with Ms. Jacqueline Onikite and Mr. Andrew Myers. Ms. Onikite and Mr. Myers both worked as Level 1 signature verification workers during the 2022 general election. Ms. Onikite and Mr. Myers testified that they did conduct signature verification and curing as Level 1 workers. Ms. Onikite, in fact, testified that she performed her job well and that she was focused on quality over quantity. Both Ms. Onikite and Mr. Myers also provided testimony as to the signature verification and curing conducted at higher levels of review. Both individuals described a process consistent with Arizona's signature verification law and offered no testimony supporting a finding that Maricopa County failed to conduct any signature verification at levels 1, 2, and 3. Mr. Hansel, the data technology director for the We the People Arizona Alliance, was called to authenticate data received from a public records request made to Maricopa County which shows the time spent by anonymized signature verification workers on signature verification. Mr. Hansel offered no testimony supporting a finding that Maricopa County did not conduct any signature verification and curing at levels one, two, and three. Ms. Bush, the chairman of the We The People Arizona Alliance was called primarily to authenticate a video purporting to show a signature verification worker working too quickly to actually be verifying signatures. Ms. Bush had no personal knowledge of the events taking place in the video. Ms. Bush ultimately offered no testimony supporting the finding that Maricopa County failed to conduct any signature verification at levels 1, 2, and 3. Mr. Ray Valenzuela testified in detail as to the multi-level signature verification and curing process in Maricopa County, including the signature verification and curing at levels 1, 2, and 3 conducted during the 2022 general election. Mr. Valenzuela testified as to the possible contents in the video shown at Exhibit 19, including, one, testifying that every single person is required upon finishing their signature verification batch of 250 to click back through their batch as part of finishing their work at Level 1, and including, two, that a signature verification worker who was found to be performing his duties incorrectly by Maricopa County was reassigned to a different post for the 2022 general election. Mr. Valenzuela testified as to the movement of signatures from Levels 1 to 2, and further testified as to Level 3, which is a randomized audit designed to serve as a check against other levels of review and ensure accuracy. Mr. Valenzuela also testified that it was possible for signature verification to be performed at an average rate of a couple of seconds. And finally, Mr. Valenzuela also testified that he himself performed signature verification of approximately 1,600 affidavit signatures during the 2022 2022 general election, excuse me, Your Honor. Finally, Mr. Eric Speckin. Mr. Speckin offered no testimony supporting a finding that Maricopa County did not conduct any signature verification or curing at levels one, two, and three. For those reasons, Your Honor, Governor Hobbs, Secretary of State Fontes, and Maricopa County jointly move this court to enter judgment on partial deeds against Ms. Lake on her signature verification claim pursuant to Arizona Rule of Civil Procedure 52C.
0: Thank you, Your Honor. Thank hey, you, Your Honor. Can I approach the podium? You know? Your Honor, the Supreme Court mandate was that Plano Lake was required to establish that, vote, quote, votes were affected in a sufficient number, sufficient numbers to alter the outcome of the election based on a competent mathematical analysis to conclude that the outcome would plausibly have been different, not simply an untethered assertion of uncertainty. The issue in this case has been ARS 16-550 about signature verification and the associated EPM. Counsel for the defendants just say signature verification occurred. Well, what exactly is signature verification as required by that statute? And signature verification is not just simply whatever we think it is. It's not simply sitting in front of a desk and tapping on a keyboard and scrolling through signatures. The statute is very specific. 550 uses the word shall compare. And that's further, the two signatures, and that's further modified by the finding of the verifier that the signature, whether or not it is consistent. Supreme Court case law in Arizona states that the words of a statute are to be given their ordinary meaning unless it appears from the context. Or otherwise, that a different meaning is intended. Shall compare. Webster's dictionary defines compare as, quote, to examine the character or qualities of, especially in order to discover resemblances or differences. Webster's dictionary defines consistency. as marked, quote, marked by harmony, regularity, or steady continuity, free from variation or contradiction. Even Mr. Valenzuela said yesterday that you could not compare a signature in a half a second. He thought it could be in 2.54 seconds. So defendants, and Mr. Valenzuela is not a handwriting expert, he's not an expert in signature comparison, he was simply... Recognizing the obvious, that you cannot just throw two signatures up on a screen and do a comparison. What is the purpose of the Arizona legislature in mandating signature verification in the first place? It's the first level of security to ensure that illegal or fraudulent ballots aren't being injected into the system. I mentioned at the opening the Carter Baker Commission found that mail-in fraud is the excuse mail-in ballots are the single greatest greatest risk of fraud, and it's that check. Commission found that mail-in fraud is the excuse mail-in ballots are the single greatest greatest risk of fraud, and it's that check of the signature through which Maricopa County puts its employees through some fairly significant training in order to recognize the differences in handwriting and to uh, be able to assess whether or not a signature is consistent and in order to compare them. Defendants would have this court believe that the word compare has no meaning. That is not in the context of the statute and the intended purpose. That's a critical distinction, Your Honor. The issue here is not whether two signatures flashed up on a screen or that there was somebody seated at a desk and just tapping on a keyboard like we saw in the video. We have offered concrete evidence which defendants don't dispute, and that's key, Your Honor. This was their own data. They had it. They've known about it for at least since Friday when we disclosed in our expert disclosure that 1482 would be one of the bases of his opinion. If there was something wrong with that data, don't you think they would have come and said, hey, plaintiffs are wrong. But data doesn't show that 70,000, more than 70,000 signatures were approved in less than two seconds. That's a range, Your Honor. That's less than two seconds, from to one second to a half a second. That over, as plaintiffs' expert testified, that over two hundred and seventy-four thousand ballots were verified. I won't say approved, but verified prepared, in less less than three seconds. And Your Honor, as noted in that table and as testified to by Mr. Speckin. This isn't simply a comparison where you had uh, a very obvious rejection. These were at a rate of 99 to 100 percent, 100% approval. And so it takes longer to approve to find that they're consistent than it does to reject a signature. We had, as Mr. Speaker testified, at two seconds, less than two seconds, 70,000 ballots, were approved, the rates of the top seven were a hundred percent. That's not signature verification, you are this is the first line of defense that gives people confidence in the system. That's what this is about and that's what's been lost. This is Monacee, when she teared up on the stand, she came here from Colorado to give her testimony and to testify what she saw. The confidence, the laws, 16550, is designed to give people confidence in the system. It isn't simply anything goes with respect to signature verification. The issue, Your Honor, was not disputed by defendants. They didn't put up an expert to say, well, you can compare a signature At a term is commonly defined by Webster to determine whether it's the signature is consistent. They had their opportunity. They knew it was coming. They didn't dispute it. That is fatal, your honor. If anybody were to take As Mr. Speaker demonstrated on the stand, and flip through pages and say "I read it," that's not reading. For the same reasons, to say that a comparison is being conducted, there is a standard, and in fact, Maricopa recognizes the standard. That's why they put their employees through Mm -hmm. this training to determine whether the signature is consistent or not. The issue under race is whether or not the, the law is being followed. Statutes are interpreted or read by their plain meaning. Here, the undisputed evidence shows that you cannot compare a signature to determine consistency in less than three seconds. And we could even take it in less than two seconds. And Mr. Valenzuela would agree that you can't do it, in his words, half a second. He kind of just pulled that out. The other issue with respect to the evidence that plaintiffs presented from the whistleblowers that Council didn't mention, is we talked about the flood of ballots that were coming in undisputed testimony that the level two reviewers were so overwhelmed that rather than conduct any signature verification, they would kick the ballots back to, or the signatures back to level one, to be re-reviewed when they'd already been rejected. That's not signature comparison, Your Honor. I would also note that getting back to the statutory requirement to compare. In the case, Your Honor, that, that I'd like to cite for terms being given their ordinary meaning is State B. Miller, 100 Arizona, 288, 1966. Long held president. Maricopa County hired a signature expert to train workers. Kathleen Nicolaitis. Why didn't they — they said, "Oh, they could have put an expert up to say, "Well, yeah, I believe you can compare a signature." None could. That's just a fact, your Honor. It's an undisputed fact at the moment, because they didn't put anybody up. It was there <clears> — <throat> Maricopa County is required to show that they complied with the statute. The undisputed evidence shows they did not. Right. The numbers are outcome-determinant. Whether it's 274,000 or 7,000, you could pull up a two-second. Your Honor, may I just show a quick demonstration to show what two seconds looks like? A flash on a screen. <laughs> That's two seconds, Your Honor. Seventy thousand ballots approved <coughs> This is a data-backed case. It goes to one of the most critical issues in terms of elections. There has been a massive push, even Mr. Liddy back in December, if you recall, The increased usage of mail-in ballot makes the, the importance and the significance of having security measures as outlined and stated clearly by the Arizona legislature to give the public confidence that their votes are being cast and that the elected officials have been rightfully elected is Paramount. Your Honor, with that, I submit we have met our burden. The directed verdict should be denied. Judgment should be granted in plaintiff's favor, and this election should be set aside.
1: Thank you, Your Honor. Your Honor, may I briefly? First, as a point of procedure, and actually a couple of points of procedure, um, and also some references to the basic rules of evidence, I note that the chart Mr. Olson repeatedly referred to is not in evidence um second i note that no we have not technically disputed anything we have not yet put our case in chief on um, because we are presently before the court on our joint 52c motion um which rests on partial findings and now your honor briefly again before i offer other defendants also an opportunity to speak on our joint motion um we are not here before the court to argue statutory construction Um, If we were, just like we need to read the statute, Arizona case law has also said that we cannot read into a statute that which is not there. The statute does not call for a specific set of seconds to review. It does not call for a specific set of levels beyond that first to review. And beyond that, we are not here on a process challenge as we and the court have repeatedly reminded plaintiffs. And respectfully, nothing Mr. Olson has just said changes the evidence presently before the court and that which is actually in the record which is not nearly sufficient to show that the outcome of the selection would have been different based on a competent mathematical basis. Respectfully, again, I refer the court back to the testimony and the record, which I have just briefly reviewed, showing that Ms. Lake did not meet her burden as articulated by this court and by the Arizona Supreme Court. I renew my motion for partial findings, and I would like to provide other defendants' counsel the opportunity to speak.
0: Your Honor, Miracle County joins the Rule 52 motion. Supreme Court said that plaintiffs and rather this court rather said that Lake must prove by competent mathematical basis to win a trial but she need not plead specific numbers in order to meet the 12B6. But she did need a competent mathematical basis with specificity to prevail in this hearing. Not a single witness put forth by Challenger Lake put forth any mathematical basis at all, competent or otherwise, that the signature verification process did not occur. Many of the witnesses gave specific information that it did occur. And his and her opinion witness testified as to a table, if you will, for lack of other terminology, that he testified he created from data received from Maricopa County that was built within their computers during
2: the signature verification process. But for an acknowledgement that the signature signature verification process occurred, there would be no data
0: upon which he could put his piece of paper together. And I would say, Your Honor, that Reyes, is a case in which both parties stipulated that there was no signature verification. And many months ago, just to correct the record and preserve my own integrity, if you will, I never blamed any voters for voting on Election Day. I blamed Carrie Lake's get-out-the-vote coordinator and her campaign manager for malpractice. And they did reap what they sowed.
1: That's all we have, Your Honor.
0: Very well. Rule 50, 50, uh, 52C uh, contemplates judgment on partial findings, and in the middle of the language of the, clearly in the rule, it says the court may decline to render any judgment until the close of the evidence. Yes, sir. Otherwise known as directed verdict in a trial. Um, At this particular time, I'm going to exercise the discretion to decline rendering a judgment until the close of everything because otherwise I'm ruling from the bench as well. And as much as you might want me to do that, I'm not going to do that.
1: Yes, Your Honor. Thank you for your consideration.
0: So do defendants wish to present any uh, case?
1: Yes, we will, Your Honor.
0: And I didn't mean that this to be a comment either way on anything. Okay, I'm reserving till I hear everything where this comes out.
1: Understood, Your Honor. I think we all understand
0: very well. Defendants, who, who would you like to call as a witness? I think you got Mr. Valenzuela is the only one you've got. Yes,
1: Mr. Valenzuela. Um,
0: I don't see. There he is. Okay. All right. Mr. Valenzuela, you remain under oath. I'm not going to have you sworn in again, sir. If you'll come up to the podium. I will ask you, you do understand that you remain under oath, correct, sir? I do, Your Honor. Thank you. Very well. Who will be conducting the direct examination of Mr. Please, Valenzuela? Mr. Valenzuela, Your Honor. Thank you. Okay. Please proceed when you're ready, Mr. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Valenzuela, we have met before. We have. In fact, uh, I represent you and your colleagues on a variety of matters and have for many years. That is correct. And I'm not going to go through the normal early litany of direct examination, because you've already testified and you've given your name and your employer and your background. We're just going to go through a couple of things, see if we can't get this thing wrapped up. Um, you mentioned earlier that you were SIRA certified, is that correct? That's correct. And um, how long did it take to get SIRA certification? Averages is between four to six years. Okay. And is that something that requires renewal? It requires every three years renewal through CLE and other classing. And would you remind me what SARA stands for and what SARA certification is? SARA stands for Certified Election Registration Administrator. During the 2022 general election, were you involved in verifying signatures on early ballot envelopes? I was. Let's cut to the chase, Ray. Did you conduct level one signature verification during the general election in 2022? And please look at the judge when you answer, not me. I did. And did you conduct level two signature verification during the general election in 2022? I did. And did you, in fact, in addition, conduct level three signature verification in accordance with the law and the requirements of the recorder's office during the general election in 2022? I did. And to your knowledge, was there anybody else on the Maricopa County Recorders team that also participated in signature verification during the Gen Election 2022? Yes, as I identified even in the plaintiffs, there are a total of 155 users, if you will, that participated in signature verification. And those 155 were all trained and qualified to do level one certification at least, correct? At the very least, yes. And among those 155, there were other participants in the general election 2022 signature verification process in Maricopa County that were also trained and participated in signature verification level two. Is that correct? That is correct. There are 43 total. 43 total. So if somebody attempted to put forth with competent A competent mathematical basis, some sort of calculation that would stand for the proposition that Maricopa County could not do the signature verification and the amount of time allotted 1.3 million early voters. And they use the variable of 25 level one reviewers and only three level two. That would yield a result that would be inaccurate based on your personal knowledge of how many people participated in the 2022 General Election Signature Verification in Maricopa County? That is correct. Because you don't have to be a mathematical genius to know when you switch the variables from 25 to 155 and from 3 to 43, you're going to get a bigger number. Right, Ray? As far as throughput and ability to review those, yes. Okay. Briefly, what does a a level one signature review employee do? They are tasked with exactly that, user level, entry level, and I'll use the term do no harm, uh, ability to basically filter to pass, fail, good, exception, whatever term pleases the court. But in ours, it's good and exception. They can do no harm. They can not reject. So the term
2: using the term reject is not proper. Not a single level one user could reject. They can only exception and move that to a level two. They could make good and move that into the potential audit, 2% random audit of that
0: queue. You're getting kind of inside baseball on me, right? I thought it. So they get a computer screen in front of them, right? Provided by Maricopa County? That is correct. They have the ability to pull up digitalized images of the green affidavit envelope that's used in Maricopa County for a mail-in voter. To add a little clarity, that is pulled up for them. They log in. A batch of 250 is provided to them with the three exemplars and the clicked image of the voter's signature. So on the screen, it comes up. There's the signature that they used in 2022 to verify their ballot packet or affidavit envelope. And there are the last three signatures in the recorder's computer for their record. Is that correct? That is correct. And just as a point of reference, they are ranged by ladder terms. So the latest signature on file for the voter is the first signature that appears. And just for another point of clarification, there's never trained to that you must look at all three exemplars and scroll. I just wanted to make sure that that idea that that is the most recent signature appearing first in front of that level one user. Thank you, Ray. Don't get ahead of me. Thank you. though. So you've done level one review yourself. Yes. And you have also produced training materials that have been used for people that have been hired, trained, and have actually done level one ballot review. I have been participatory in crafting training, yes. Okay. Now, let's say there was a a live signature right here from, uh, from 2022, and here I have the last three. The law says you have to look to see if they're if they're not similar, right? You have to compare them to see if they're not similar. If, actually, if we continue to read as sixteen five fifty a is being referenced, it's compare for if, for consistency. It's it's compare to see if the signature is inconsistent. Correct. So you have to compare to see if they're in. What is it? What was it? In inconsistent. Consistent, right. Not stop and compare, but compare first if it is inconsistent. Not dissimilar and not match and not identical. But you look at the one from 2022, you look at the other three, they're right there in front of you, and you're looking to see if they're dissimilar. Correct. What do you do if they all look the same? They're consistent, then they met and they meet that criteria for them to be then dispositioned a good six. And how long does that take for somebody who's done this for a while, this experience? There's there's the one from 2022 from the green envelope, a digitalized image, and there's the last three. Are they dissimilar? How long does that take? Again, as mentioned, you're not required to scroll to three. If the first ladder
2: signature on file vetted verified signature is an exact match, we'll use that. Then that can take one to two seconds. Because if it's an exact match,
0: it's pretty clear that it's not inconsistent use the language of the statute that is correct so in fact you don't even have to read the 2022 signature and then read the signature from 2020 2018 2016. if they match you know that they're not dissimilar as the statute requires right that is part of training. That is correct. Only one no. exemplar is required to be referenced. If, but the others are provided for those that may be subjective. Okay. If a level one signature reviewer in Maricopa County in 2022 looks at those exemplars and says, "Well, I think they might be dissimilar," because instantaneously, it doesn't look like a match to me. I'm going to look a little bit closer. And then that individual does look a little bit closer and just says, you know, I can't determine that it's, uh, that it's not inconsistent. I actually see some inconsistencies there. What does that level one a signature reviewer do? Again, with the inability to reject, they would exception. And that, use that case in point as an example, The Reynaldo Valenzuela's packet signed by Frank Johnson, that's very dissimilar, not consistent. There is no need to go through broad characteristics, local characteristics, or to even go past the first exemplar.
2: So that would be a one- to two-second exception.
0: And where would that signature then go, or where would that comparison go? That would then go to the manager's level, the 43 managers that were available to task to review that second to concur that that is indeed not a consistent signature. Is that level two, Ray? That is level two. Manager's Q, I apologize, but level oh, two. Oh, that's okay. Level two. So it goes to level two. Yes. So that could be pretty quick, too. As far as reaching the, the review in level two? Identify no, identifying that they're inconsistent, move it to level two. Yes, that could be one of the ones that is indeed to also include, I may be overstepping. Uh, also a no signature. There is no 11 broad characteristics to look at for a no signature. Okay, but that could be one second as well. But let's go back to just two that at uh, first look might be the same name, probably are the same name. The front, the first name's about the same distance. They both have a middle initial. They both have a period. They both have a last name with a big fancy letter in the front. But something's just not right. It's not a match. You can figure that out pretty quickly, couldn't you?
2: And we actually train to our our level one users and actually have emphasized this quality. And if they don't
0: feel that, indeed, we ask them to accept so it can go through that higher level review. Now, in your experience, Ray, doctors aren't the only Americans who've got bad handwriting. Is that correct? That's correct. Some voters do, too, including myself. And then there's people that are maybe in a hurry in life. And they don't use perfect penmanship. When they sign their name, they just kind of do a little scribble that they think is kind of cool, right? That is correct.
2: And it is those that you exactly are mentioning are the ones that have some similarities that go beyond the two seconds, the five seconds, the six seconds, even 20 seconds at that level one to
0: look at all three exemplars because there has some similarities. If they're not exactly consistent, then at least those are the ones that would take longer than two, three, four seconds to review. But what if that little scribble was an exact match? How long would that take?
2: As mentioned already, that if it was the exact same flourishes and strokes, it would take between two seconds to four seconds to infer and look at that to say those are similar and consistent.
0: So in fact, so if there was a voter who was an anesthesiologist and uh, wrote all kinds of weird stuff in his name, and you might never be able to decipher the name of that doctor, you might still have... Exemplars that match. You never actually read the name, but you would match the signatures, correct? Under the. Object, Your Honor. He's leading the witness. I, mean, leading. I think you previously testified that you have seen signatures that you were unable to read. Is that correct? That's correct were you able to determine whether they were similar or dissimilar from the exemplars provided in the registrar's record? In the manager level two, where we have a repository of every single official registration
2: record to include registration form, pass affidavits, and a lot of folks may not be aware, but when you check into the polling place, you sign a roster, showed ID, that's a vetted signature, that too is available to that manager level two reviewer.
0: In your experience, does level two review take longer than level one? Absolutely. It's intended to. Other than, again, another folklore in demonizing the one-second, two-second, is that if I am a level one and I send up a no signature and it took me two seconds, one it should be, to establish that's no signature, a manager
2: should be able to look at that
0: and concur in one second that that is a no signature. There's nothing there to local or broad characteristics to review. Um, no, we need to, uh, yeah. I'm ready. oh uh, wait, 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 sorry. Let's confirm. Say it again. Um, let me see it again. Yes, this is it. Uh, may I approach? You may. Which exhibit is it? Is there a 23-year-old? Mr. Valenzuela? Do you recognize the document you have in front of you? I do. And you see a green tag on that? Yes. Can you confirm for me the exhibit number of that? Exhibit number 23. Could you take a moment and just peruse that document? Not to read it, but just to see if you recognize what it is. I do recognize it. So. And what is that document, Mr. Valenzuela? It is a, a, a printout of our PowerPoint training that's provided to all of our signature verification staff. And was this document used for the classroom training, which you previously testified before while you are under examination from the test door, that was provided to the Level 1 signature reviewers in 2022? This is our one user training material. Or a portion thereof. There are also guides that are provided for reference. Your Honor, I move this exhibit into evidence. Objection to 23? Sure who's doing the examination for this witness? I am your honor. No objection. Thank you. Twenty-three is admitted. Actually I'm trying to leave it up here in case they refer to it. I don't mind as long as at the end of the day it makes its way back to the clerk. Oh, that's also a good one, right. right? Yes, it has been admitted as one. I'm not going to have a word out there. Which exhibit Okay, Okay, if it's been admitted then. Which number is it, Mr. Liddy? One's been admitted. It's identical. I didn't realize it was in here twice. It's the same one. It is. Yeah. I'm told 24 is a dupe that of one. One's been admitted. Yeah, no, there. We're good. um uh, I put I uh, one. The to choose to. Did you ask to uh, Mr. Valens, well, I've you've answered several questions about level two, which you said officially is called manager level. Is that correct? Correct. Can we talk about um, disposition to balance? What is a disposition to balance? A disposition is a particular status code that we set to a given record to identify which which way we want to sort that physical packet to to direct it down its proper path. Okay, so by physical packet, you don't mean a ballot, and you don't mean a mere affidavit envelope, the green ubiquitous green envelope that we've discussed a lot over the last couple of days, but you mean the combination of the two. Is that correct? The ballot sealed. To, is to be and remains until it reaches our citizen boards for processing. But yes, the packet is how we refer to it in early voting, that it's not we don't. It is not the ballot, so it's not confused that we're sorting ballots. We're actually dispositioning packets and that affidavit. So that's why the professionals use the term packet rather than ballot.
2: Correct. So that somebody says, "Oh, well, I was sorting ballots," that sounds a little bit nefarious, or injecting
0: ballots, where you could be injecting a packet into the stream. Or signature verification is what is happening. So just for clarification, packet has the affidavit envelope, which you can see the affidavit on it, and a signature, if there is one, because sometimes you forget, and a date. Is that correct? That is correct, plus an option for the voter to list their phone number. Phone number. And that is all visible on the outside of the packet. That is correct. You can kind of hold it and see if there's something inside, right? But you don't really know what's inside. Um, actually, part of our process is that, but I'll not get into the weeds. But yes, we can we can tell if there's something within it. And we're all hopeful that that thing that's within it is a ballot. Correct. Your experience is it always a ballot? Not always. Just saying. So all of this review is done without the reviewer actually seeing the ballot. Um, Not only do they not see the ballot, they only see that it's a clipped image that the user one, level one, is looking at, and and it contains the voter signature and the voter's information, if you will, their name and address. So these reviewers don't even get their hands on the packet? Not until they reach security post-dispositioning as good, bad, or otherwise. So where are the ballots at this level one and level two time? Where are the packets? Sorry. So the process is, as sort of high level was that we pick those up, our couriers, our staff
2: pick those up from the U.S. Post Office, two members of the print party take them to Rumbeck where they inbound scan to capture that image and also account
0: by that unique piece ID. Every packet that's sent to a voter, a registered voter, you have to be, unlike election day where you don't have to, you can, but I digress, uh, packet goes to the voter, it comes back. We inbound scan those, capture that image, and those are placed in a vault, never to be seen or touched again until we re- return
2: that file with the disposition codes set.
0: That's where I was going. So I want to get back to that. They're actually in a vault, locked up at the time of the level one, level two review. Is that correct? Correct. Nobody gets to touch them. Correct. So if there's an evildoer, son of Maricopa County at Mi'ctech that wants to play games, they can't go Karnak and figure out what's inside the the envelope and make a disposition decision that way, correct? It would not be the normal path either way for that packet to get to the citizen board processing. It has to be through that stream of disposition, audit sheet, and audit report. My question is they wouldn't even have their hands on it, correct? Correct. There's no way they can tell if there's a ballot in there or what that ballot, what, what's marked on that ballot, correct? During that signature verification process thank you and that's the tech that's the process that we used during the general election signature verification 2022 correct that's correct and you know that because you were there. correct correct you saw it correct and participated as well yeah participated as well Okay, um. you. Your honor, may I approach mm-hmm. which exhibit? Thank you, sir. I think it is. It's exhibit three, Mr. Valenzuela. You've had an opportunity to glance at exhibit twenty-five. I have. You recognize it? I do. What is it? It is one of our signature verification user guides, or at least for our use, this one particularly is for our user level employees. And was this, to your knowledge, was this used to train the level one signature reviewers, the 155 of them that were are used in the ele- general election 2022? It is a supplemental document that's part of the training that you originally presented and something that is a takeaway. They actually maintain this as 01 worker. Your Honor, I move for the admission of Civic 25. Any objections? Your Honor. 25 is admitted. So I see three columns. Uh, do you see those three columns on this document? I do. And the middle column says disposition, EVRT slash. Ev twenty six three. Do you see that? I do. Uh, would you explain to the court what that is? This is, as mentioned, one of the disposition codes, good, that can be set, and this is a visual and example of what a user level one may see and what disposition would fit that category. And what does good mean? Good means that it's consistent signature with that they reviewed or the signature they looked at when at a level one initial review. If you go over to column number one, it says example on the affidavit signature image. And if you drop down to the middle one there, it says, quote, verified and approved McTech stamp. You follow me there? I do. Explain to the court what that means. That is a packet that went through as an example exception. The level one user initially said, I don't see this to be consistent. And they sent it on to a manager Manager level, level two, concurred. It's not consistent, so it's sent for curing. So those thousands of that are then contacted by or the voter is given the opportunity to cure, to authenticate their identity. And when they do contact, we document that on the affidavit and we stamp upon that verified and approved and resend that back through for two things, not only archive and retention to scan that packet, but also to re-verify in the system that it's a good SIG, meaning it's followed its path of exception, could be a no SIG, could have been a questionable SIG, but it's been cured and that curing will have that stamp, and our level one board workers are trained till when they see that, that's a one to two second cure. There is nothing to scroll through This has been verified by the voter. So that's really fast. Yes. would see that stamp. You see a following the logic. You see no signature. That should be one second or less. You see this verified and approved. That should be trained to. That is good to go next. So if I was trying to figure out um, an average time it would take to do a signature review and – no high-level math. This is just say sixth-grade-level math. Maybe something I learned from my father. Somebody might live, learn from their dad or their mom. I actually learned mine from my mom, not my dad. But it's just figuring out an average, right? So if I were doing that and I had some numbers from my universe, for which I'm going to fill out an average, That were zero or near zero, because they've got the stamp on it. That's good. Let me finish the question. That let me finish the question. That's gonna affect the average calculation, isn't it? Now go ahead. I Jack he's not a signature verification expert. You are this only calls for sixth grade math. He's not a a signature signature verification verification expert. expert. They haven't laid any foundation for his ability to determine how long it should take to do a signature verification. That's not the question. You're objecting that he's not qualified to do... I'm objecting that he's not a signature verification expert, so he's talking about doing averages about how long it should take to do each of these signatures. And that's that's... They don't have an expert for that, Your Honor. Furthermore, I'll throw in the kitchen sink as they did. He's not a statistician. He has no background in that. I believe he testified to that fact, Your Honor. Okay. Rephrase it. I'll withdraw the question. And I'll get to it another way. Fine. Ray, do you know what it means to calculate an average? I do. If I want to calculate the average of 10 numbers and say two of them, were very, very low. Because those two come from a universe that's different than the other eight. Let's say they had verified stamp approvals on them. And so I didn't have to examine them. I just knew right away we'd move them on. So I have 20% really low number. Is that going to affect the overall average of my calculation of the average of 10 by moving it lower? Obviously, using the term grading on the curve or anything, you would eliminate those that will affect your average similar to these one to two second review Dispositions positions, or categories. So let's say I'm the assistant coach on a Little League baseball team, and I'm calculating the average of, of 10 players on our team. But it's early in the season, early in the game, and two of them haven't even had at-bats yet. Because one was sick, and the other was out of town, and they didn't play the first two games. So now I have eight with batting averages, and two is zero zero zero. 0 if I add them all together, I'm not really going to get an, a look at what the average ability of our team is to bat because two of them are outliers, and I should throw them out if I want to get an accurate number, right? Yes, that Remember is correct, it? to remove outliers that would True affect outliers. that average. And would you agree with me that if some of these review packets have the verified improvement text stamp on them, but the amount of time that's going to take is going to be very, very low. Well, that is Your Honor, based on with, uh, a signature verification expert. Are you asking him based on his personal experience or are you asking him on another basis? Your Honor, I'm, I'm asking him on his personal experience. He's also speculated. As to what? As to whether or not if something contains a stamp the average time going to be very, very low. Well, that's why I asked him if he's asking based on his personal experience. He testified earlier. He actually reviewed and verified 1,600 at level one in the last election. So based on his experience, he can answer. Can you answer the question? Based on my personal experience of not just reviewing 1,600, but probably close to hundreds of thousands over my 20 years of actually doing this and this being a consistent practice. Yes, I can say that if, in my
2: personal experience looking at this as it's trained to all level one users that I would take less than a second to see that verified and approved and I would hit approved.
0: Thank you. Excuse But this is the money you may. <laughs> you may. Mr. Valenzuela, do you recognize that document? I do. What is it? It is similar to our user level, but it is our signature verification job aid for managers. And was this document used in part, among others, during the general election or the period prior to the general election, 2022, to train the level two or managerial level document reviewers? It is. And also as a reference take-away guide. How is this document used? Similar to the other document, but it has that level two disposition options available, which on the screen when they showed, you'll see the first three categories are the same. The good, 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 based on verified and approved. If I I may, you're referring to the middle column of this exhibit, correct? Correct. I'm sorry to interrupt. Continue. But if in this particular document, it moves into the next level manager disposition availability options, such as no SIG. So at level one, a level one, we're not asking them to make decisions other than exception. It's a,
2: and then it moves to level two with multiple amounts of exemplars. But in the case of, you'll see the no SIG is enabled option for manager because it clearly is a no SIG. Uh, the need packet, there's several different dispositions that we at that managed level can
0: to include saying you think
2: it is
0: a inconsistent. Let us look at the 2444 signature exemplars on file and see if we can concur. So the level one reviewers have only two options. That's good correct. sig and exception. Correct. No pass or no pass. No good. No. No sign. No need packet. No any exceptional or no rejection. No rejection whatsoever. That's a point of emphasis. It's impossible for level one reviewer to reject the signature. Similar to our wanting to in early voting to call it a packet, not a ballot, and exception, not rejection, because we don't reject at level one. You can move beyond the level one, level two, level three signature review process. And I want to ask you a few questions about something that I heard in testimony yesterday and today. That's the curing process. Are you familiar with what it means, the curing in Maricopa County? Uh, Document review? I am. Before I get to curing, in your personal experience, when you have seen, have you ever seen a check mark in the box on the affidavit envelope rather than a signature? Absolutely. Or another indicia marker, say an X. Correct. As identifying the user guide, we do have a group or a population demographics that may have some. Uh, physical dis, uh, incapacitation that requires, and then there are process procedures how we go about to either cure or register them with that identifier. So those voters would make a mark rather than place in that signature area what we would all call a signature. But just if I may, point of privilege once again is they can make a mark, but it has to be consistent with their registration file that that is on file as. Uh, So if you're at level one reviewer, and in comes the image, and it's just a mark, how long does it take to determine that? If it's consistent, it's an X and an X, then again, it's as much as looking at uh, a piece of art. If it's the same, it's the same drawing, it's the same drawing. It takes, can be under a second to two seconds. No reading involved? No. Just comparing two marks? No 11 local or broad characteristics, no swoops, swooshes, and strokes, just looking at that. Thank you. So would you explain for the court, please, what is the curing process? So the curing process is behind the signature verification process. So when somebody at level one does set a record as exception, it goes to a manager, that manager concurs that it is indeed inconsistent signature, then it goes into a status or another disposition, sometimes referred to as a preliminary question, PQ, using these uh, acronyms, or QS question signature. That allows us to take it down a path to begin the contact using that phone number that's on the voter's registry, on the affidavit, using uh, email, using a ballot subscription service where if you sign up to say, tell me my ballot status, to include when it's moved, when it's received, and the disposition, then we'll instantly send you a text that says your ballot's been questioned. Call our call center. Why does the Maricopa County Recorder's Office have a process for curing the early ballots? And it's
2: required in law that we make a reasonable effort. I think we go beyond reasonable, which is voter centric, but make it at least a reasonable effort, as required in statute, to contact the voter. To And that same section sixteen five fifty a that if it's inconsistent, that we will make that effort.
0: So in your opinion, Maricopa County Recorder's signature verification and curing team goes beyond that which is required by law? Absolutely, based on some of our cure rates, if you will. Why is it important to you as a professional in this area to go beyond what the law requires in order to give voters an opportunity to cure an infirmity in their um, affidavit envelope. Again, having done this 32
2: years, and I know um, my oath of office was brought into question and my integrity as to if I would, we we look at this and take this seriously to know we are about to
0: disenfranchise a voter if we are not making that effort. That's why we post-election, we 298,000 dropped off. We threw all hands on deck because we need a contact those voters that fall into that curing so they have
2: time to cure. So we take it very seriously and and make sure that we are as voter-centric as possible regardless. Again, all I see is the packet that says John Doe on it. I don't know that. Am I curing this? I'm curing it for the sake of being voter-centric.
0: So does Recorder Richards and your team, uh, do they document the efforts they make throughout the curing process? We do. So we are identifying that it is in the system. There's two different processes. In the system, all of with this raw data that we saw, we are noting that it's been an exception. We are noting that it's set as a question signature. Then that contact is made, but we are not returning that into the system, but we are actually physically, upon the actual packet, when you ask what happens when we send that disposition to run back, we're sorting those good signals, but we're also sorting those need packets,
2: questionable, all of the different dispositions. We will take those no sigs, those questionables, and we will put an affidavit label, or put a label on there that has different action items that the that the curing team would document what they've done. I contact
0: the voter, left voicemail, I letter was sent. All of those things are maintained, and those are trade ready and left in alpha order. Some of the tests that I think was mentioned by some of the temps that were witnesses that are ready to be cured and documented through that action label. And is it your understanding that the law in Arizona places a strict timeline and uh, the ability of you and your team to assist those voters in curing those ballot packages? It doesn't set a timeline for us to cure
2: them. It sets a deadline for the voter to reach back to us. Using the 2022 as an example, it's five business days, which usually ends up being seven calendar. There was a
0: holiday on November 8th. So we moved it to November 16th. So we are curing, and that's why we take it the urgency to, by November 11th, we had
2: cured all those because we threw resources at it to contact those voters to give them the option so that we're not calling them on November 16th at, at 459 to say you have to
0: cure, and it's, that extra effort is put towards that. So in 2022, there was a holiday. Correct. That, was that Veterans Day? Yes. You're Memorial. Day. I mean, it was whatever November 11th. I it. And that was 2022, yes. and you remember that, yeah?
2: Because we it was it's a rare circumstance, and we had to push just as the law requires. Anytime that something falls on holiday, you must extend that deadline, and we did the whole state of Arizona, all 15 counties.
0: So there really was signature review in Maricopa County in 2022. Yes, for us to have curing, we would have to have those reviewed to put into that queue. Your Honor, I um I move to admit exhibit twenty-six. No objection, Your Honor. Twenty six is admitted then. <clears throat> Okay. Your honor, may I approach? You nice. Mr. Valenzuela. Would you take a moment and look at the document I just handed to you? I'm familiar with it. Uh, What is it? It is basically our, if you will, uh, procedural document that identifies the early voting contacting, curing process and what its purpose is that we provide to staff or even as an outreach resource document. You just testified in some detail, some detail about the curing process for people that mail in their ballots that are on the A's or what have you, but there are also early voters that don't use the Postal Service. Is that correct? That is correct. And what if one of those forgets to sign that affidavit envelope? What happens then? So, there again, there's different deadlines. For no signature, the Arizona Revised Statute requires that it's done by 7 p.m. on election night.
2: Cured, still cured. It has to be done by that deadline.
0: But they don't get the five days in the holiday.
2: They do not. They are they are required, and we still make a reasonable effort to reach out to those voters
0: through all the various contact methods, um, as outlined in this document, just the two different dates, one for questionable signature, one for no signature. Honor, I move to admit Exhibit 27. Any objection? 27 is admitted. (laughs) Honor, may I approach? You may. Mr. Valenzuela, have you had a chance to look at that document? I have. You recognize it? I I do. What is it? It is our voter contact label guide we give to staff. It is basically those individuals that are tasked with the curing process, what they are to do, what these acronyms on the label that's shown on their bottom left-hand corner action circle. And it's just a, a legend of what if they left a voicemail, if they left a message, if the letter was sent, no voicemail have tons of different guides or contact actions that are tracked by and the date that that was done by that particular staff member so ls means letter sent correct wn wrong number correct all the way down to the last one verified which would then have that verified and approved stamp Resent through adds to the integer of that log file, but it's resent through and re reviewed in one to two seconds because it has that stamp verified and approved. So all of those packets that would have been cured by the voter would be rescanned, re reviewed, and uh, known to me that it would take less than one to two seconds to disposition that as good. Because it's already been stamped. And it's already been reviewed and it's already been validated. It's now just for ministerial kind of duties. We're capturing and archiving that image. So all the time that it would take to review that and verify it and stamp it would that time wouldn't count. Back in that earlier document, where contest contester is saying, trying to figure out the averages of how quickly everybody does. Correct. Right. That would okay. so, uh, that was exceptionally. It was leading. Mr. Valenzuela, does it take a lot more time to cure an affidavit envelope and have it get all the way down to the code SR? I'm sorry, VER verified, action selected when the voter verifies the signature, than it would to? Look at two signatures and figure out if they're similar or not. It takes upteen amounts of time because of the fact that it is reaching out to the voter. We have shifts that will be doing specifically that, and it could take days. Take days. But once that's completed, there's a stamp placed on that one, right? That is correct. And then it goes all the way back to level one, correct? That is correct. And then that machine in Maricopa County that sent the data... To the contester here is going to have a really low number because when they looked and saw the stamp, it was just a really low number, right? That exact user ID could have been categorized as an exception that took five seconds, could have gone to manager level that took 12 seconds to concur. And then when it came back, that third scan would be one second to disposition it as verified. To see that stamp could take only one second. Correct. Or maybe less. Possible? Correct. And so he took, so my question to you is all the time it took to get that verified stamp on there. None of that would be reflected in the mathematical calculation that you saw earlier today put forth as alleged evidence that there was a signature review process done. Is that correct? Leaving your honor. Okay. It is leading. Now, you previously testified, Mr. Valenzuela, that it takes a lot of time for the Maricopa County Recorder's signature verification team to cure a ballot all the way such down that it gets to the verified stamp on it, correct? That is correct. And you have also testified that the time reflected in that is not accounted for in the document that was produced by... The contester, Kerry League's team, which they presented in the court while you were watching, correct? Yes, in foundation, you know, Mr. Valenzuela pre- testified he doesn't—he's he, not even have personal knowledge of the contents on CD-ROM other than approving their disclosure to us. He hasn't looked at the data. He's admitted that he hasn't reviewed the data. He's admitted that. Okay. Rephrase it then. You got another way of. Mr. Balenzoi, were you in the courtroom earlier today? I was. Did you see, uh, did you hear and watch um, the testimony of the alleged expert put forth by plaintiff? I did. You see up on that screen there when they put that document up there that he was testifying about? I did. Did you understand? That the amount of time it takes to verify an affidavit envelope under the hearing process was not included in that data. Correct. Thank you. Still leading, objection is again, his fundamental understanding of the very data that chart was based upon. It's the question was asked to the exhibit. I'll just note for the record all the objections as to leading new in this case, the other side extended the courtesy of never objecting once to anything leading throughout the entire presentation of plaintiff's case. But, if you insist on objecting on leading, I can sustain those. You have to rephrase it differently. Just pointing it out as a matter of professional courtesy, but it is something that is true. If, if Your Honor, if I heard you right, you asked him to rephrase your asked and answer any anyway, you Honor. I didn't understand what you just said, Mr. fun Oh, I I could not hear the, too much in front of me. If you, you said something about rephrase it. He can rephrase anything if you're objecting to leading. Just, Some of leading in, in the case has I mean, to do with I mean, I, streamlining. I, my response was asked and answered, so. Understood, understood. But we're at the end of the day. What's okay. the two questions. You have two two that I handed you, Tom. You'll have to come and ask. Listen, uh, Your Honor, for clarification, the last response that he gave, is that in the record, or have you um, taken that out because you've ruled that the question I was leading? I, it's, it, the question was leading, so... Um, I sustain the objection. I was just noting for the record that it's just, it can be rephrased and asked a different way. It's just, that's fine. If I may, your Say again? Well, if I may, ask it answer as well. Thank you for the professional person. Appreciate it. Very well. Go ahead. Next question. Mr. Valenzuela, are all Level 1 reviewers trained to question the check mark stamp? If it is inconsistent with what is on the official voter registration record, absolutely. That would go for an X also? there is an X or any mark that is inconsistent with what is on file of the official registration, they are indeed asked to make that an exception. Are Level 1 reviewers trained to re-verify signatures bearing the check mark stamp? I wouldn't say that they're asked to re-verify. All of them are asked to re-look at their sub-batch of 250 to see their status. If they originally set that as exception, they should confirm that in their backwards review of that. So when a level one signature verifier completes a batch of 250 signature verifications, the protocol is for them before they submit it, to go back and review each one, and and I may add, again, for edification, not review in the same level of, I've looked at three exemplars, I deem this to not be the same, that they are identifying that I set this as an exception before I commit the batch, I'm going to look at that, and yes, indeed, I don't redo the three-level scrolling, or if it's a good SIG, they're just reconfirming. In your experience, that's um, much faster than the initial review? It's much faster, they, and again, it's not logged because it's not a disposition set. Your Honor, I move to admit Exhibit 28. Any objection? No objection. 28 admitted. Your Honor, now would be an appropriate time to break for the afternoon. All right, very well. We will do that. We will resume tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. and we will be adjourned until that time. I you can